Hey, and welcome to the manual. I hope that the day brings you a ray of sunshine and that you are putting your best self forward. Um, today I want to talk about, obviously, the obvious. Uh, we're still in the middle of a lot of chaos, but it seems to be quelling a little bit. So um, hopefully we're going to go back to some normalcy and kind of get the dialogue going um, and forward in some capacity. Um I want to address something that is probably experienced right now by a lot of you, um, meaning you people that I personally know, friends, family, co-workers, colleagues of the like. Uh, we have our friends that, that are non-black that are reaching out to us and asking us if we're okay, if they can help, uh, and what's going on. Uh, first of all, let me not be ungrateful as saying that... Um, you know, that's not appreciated. I appreciate you taking the step to do that. Uh, if you're asking what can you do, that's what you can do. Just, you know, see if someone's okay. Or in the future, if you see something or if you're a friend of yours, whether they're black, white, whatever, if, if a friend of yours is indifferent to someone else, because it's not about just us, meaning African-Americans or black people. I don't use the word African-American. I'm black. You know, to, to address it, to kind of make light of it, if, you know, same as if you had a friend that was that was uh, homosexual and you have friends that are teasing them or saying inappropriate comments, you just kind of correct the situation. Just, hey, man, that's not cool. Don't say that around me. Whatever you want to go and, you know, whatever route you want to go on with that, that's up to you. Um, because this is not going to be solved right now. It's not going to be solved probably in a year from now. It's not going to be solved probably even in a decade. That's just my opinion on it. Um, it is something that has to be ongoing and kind of a um, conscious thing that you are you are experiencing when it comes to that matter. So I have mixed emotions or mixed feelings about how people are, you know, addressing me right now. Like I am a victim of whatever. I've been a victim. This is not new. This is not something that just happened two weeks ago when Mr. Floyd passed away. Um... So yeah, so this is not something that's new. I don't I don't wear my race on my sleeve, um, and it's because of where I'm from. I'm from a different country, um, and I want to address a couple of things today that we'll deal with around being from a different country, being black from a different country. Um, so let me stay on topic. So I appreciate um, anyone that's reached out to me personally to ask me, but I have different feelings about that. I'm on the fence. Um, I feel that sometimes the media or mediums um, portray us uh, in a a group context, all right? Data from sources, obviously, data is some a way to measure things. Data has shown that, you know, how unemployment affects blacks, how COVID affects blacks, how underlying conditions affect blacks, how living conditions affect blacks. Let me let me make something clear out there to you guys. Not every black person grew up in the ghetto. Not every black person is uneducated. Not every black person has committed violent crimes. Not every black person has been charged with crimes. You know, many many people get arrested for all kinds of stuff. I've been arrested for stuff um, you know, as as a juvenile um, for things I probably shouldn't have been doing, but not to uh, the extent of a criminal conviction or it stopped me from excelling in life. I probably had other obstacles stop me. Maybe someone not liking me, not liking my job performance or whatever. I've had things like that happen. But overall, you know, 
I, I still kind of live in society. So when I say that not every person is that, that's for every race. That's not just for black people. Not, not every white person is racist. Not every, not every um, Asian is smart. <laughs> whatever, whatever stereotypes you, you have or, been, or endured or have um, subscribed to, it is not the case. It is not everyone. Um, so the media to me or, you know, social media, whatever medium that we're using, uh, it tends to group everyone as a, as a, that's, that's the entire race. It is not. There are, there are people that are uh, experiencing the same things that you are, and there are people that have never experienced what you have, have never done that. Now, switching gears to being not from America, I'm born in another country. Many of you know this, and if you don't know this, you know this today. I wasn't born here. I became a citizen of the United States when I was 18 years old, back in 1992. I became a citizen partly because that's what my parents' goal was to do here, and I wanted to go to college, and not under international status. I wanted to go as an American citizen. I wanted to be afforded the same liberties that I had friends um, going to think for. I remember one of the happiest moments in my life, and this is going to sound really strange to you guys because it's small and trivial. When I was 16, I had to register for selective service, and if you guys remember what selective service is, is that it's a um, a program or I guess law. I don't even know how to describe it. But selective service that you had to pick a service that in case of a global war or whatever, you join up to a service. <laughs> you join up, you, you, you pick that you're in the pool that can be sent to any one of these branches to um, be part of the ranks. And I thought as an American citizen, I thought that was like a God given right. Like, wow, I get to actually fight for this country at some point if need be, if need be. Because I felt that although at 16, I was going through stuff that teenagers go through in, in living in urban America, but I still had that in my head, like, wow, this is a, this is a great thing, great country. Now, my, now, mind you, that might have been my naivety, but it was how I felt about being in America. Now, where I come from, Georgetown, Guyana, it's not a horrible place. It's, it's a very beautiful place. It's a very beautiful country. You know, we have our problems like most people have, but... In, in on the other side, we have things that happen um, there that don't happen here. Like, for instance, my parents were not really a part of the civil rights movement because they were in another country. They watched that on television and they, they got news of things that were happening, sit-ins and, and marches and all of that. Not every black person on the planet experienced that. That was an American black social um event that was that was the events of the time that was the the movement all right now people stood in solidarity around the world and probably recognize these things but other black people in other countries are are still facing and were facing their own challenges economical social political um and and the like so you know when i hear things um sometimes i i see that it's it's all like we're all grouped, you know, you know. Speak when you speak of Latinos, you know, they're Latinos all over the world. They're different countries. There's Mexico. There's Spain. There's the the Caribbean. You know, there's a lot of countries that um, have have share the same cultures, but they have they have different nuances. They have different subtexts of being this, and that is why I'm having this talk today, is because. Um, 
one of the things I want to address with racism, um, because racism to me, and this is my my opinion here, you guys can dissect this however you want. My opinion is that racism is not only from white to black, but it's also black on black, Spanish on Spanish, um, white on white, whatever whatever you feel that your race, your kind is superior. Now, in upbringing, I remember that when I came to this country, I was about six years old. I was about six years old when I came to this country. And I remember having immense challenges being from another country. You know, first of all, my name is Cleveland. My, my legal name is Cleveland. I'm a, you know, black guy, Cleveland. I also stuttered. And you guys can probably pick this up sometimes when you hear me speak on this podcast. If I'm trying to get ahead of myself to collect my thoughts, you might hear me hesitate because I still deal with it on a level. Not like I was when I was a kid, but I still deal with it at some level as an adult. But I've embraced that a long time ago. So I, it's, it's who I am. I do a lot of public speaking. Um, I'm a personal trainer now in my life, but I've also been in the corporate world where I've had to give reports. I've had to give you know, a, a, a kind of um, state of the union, so to speak. I had to talk on conference calls. I had to lead conference calls. So I'm used to speaking. I have no problem speaking. I have no problem speaking to anyone or any, any group of people um, in that regard. I actually enjoy it. I enjoy the interview process, as I, as I mentioned before, being interviewed or interviewing someone. I have no problem speaking. And as a child, the problem with speaking wasn't my impediment. It wasn't about me having a speech impediment. It was about having an accent and being from somewhere different where black Americans did not accept me right away. And I never understood that. Um, This is a term that many of you may know or many of you may have heard, um, but it was called the African booty scratcher. I don't even know what the fuck that was. But when I was a kid, seven, eight years old in school, that's what you were called if you were not American, if you were not black American. That's what you were called. It was like a a joke that we didn't understand being from somewhere else. So a lot of us gravitated to who we were comfortable around, you know. In school, I always tell this narrative. In school, I had friends all over. I had friends from, you know, that were Spanish. I had a couple of friends that were white. Um, the few whites that we had in our township at the time. Um, I've had friends that were from different countries. But you stuck to your kind. And what I meant by your kind, you stuck with either Caribbean people or people from your country in the Caribbean. Um, you kind of like, you know, did that. So growing up... Um, we kind of got into our own little groups and stuff like that. And that happened from when I was about seven or eight years old till I got to 18. So I got out of high school. I was kind of in that bubble uh, in my area, in my little corner of the world. And then I realized when I went to college that that it was a, you know, a broader community. But I still had to face, and I still do to this day, I face um, things and I hear things because in my American accent, air quotes, you cannot tell that I'm from somewhere else unless I say something. Sometimes I might say a word literally, you know. I think in America you say literally, but we say literally. And it's like this, oh, where you, f-? you know, it'll come out. Something I'll say will come out and it, it'll spark a conversation at some point. But I've had, I've had black American friends say things and I'm guilty of not defending 
or speaking further on it, uh, them saying things against foreigners, meaning foreign blacks, like, oh, you know, they come here and take our jobs. And I'm like, whoa, you know, but then it got to a point where I was like, you know what, let me let me address this person. Like, listen, you're talking to somebody that's not from here. Like, I might sound like you and even look like you now, but that wasn't always the case that that wasn't always the case back in the day. You know, I looked different. I talked different. I was different in my attempt to assimilate and and kind of be accepted. I lost a, a lot of myself. I lost a lot of myself, you know, and it's something that uh, I try to get back. It's hard to do that because um, I think I cherish my upbringing because I my parents, although we were living in America, inside my house was GT was Guyana. It was that was it. We still had the same foods around the holidays. We celebrated the way we celebrate outside of here. Uh, you know, we incorporated, you know, certain certain things from American culture, so to speak. And I think part of the, the issue was on the reverse that a lot of a lot of um, people where I'm from or people that's not from here in some capacity have felt that the black Americans here don't have a culture and they kind of do. But it's not the kind of culture that we embrace. Like I, for one, and I'm only speaking, I have to be very, very um, serious here. I have to be very careful here when I'm about to say, because I'm, I'm speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for Guyanese. I'm not speaking for anyone else but Cleve. I felt, and I still have parts of who I am that feel that, you know, here in America, um, the black experience is something that people want to experience, but it's not through our social economic situation. They only want to feel this through the culture, through being, I guess, hip hop or fucking rap or some shit or sports or whatever. It's not, it's it's cool when it's that, but when you're not that, when you face other problems, then nobody's recognizing with black. No one's recognizing with with that situation. And, you know, you may disagree, shake your head right now. I frankly don't care. <laughs> you know, I care about your opinion, but I don't, I don't care that you're, that you're disagreeing with me. You know, I will respect your opinion, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to have my opinion as well. And one of the things, like I said, you know, it is cool to be that, you know, it was cool. One of the things that I remember so clearly, right, as a kid being teased so much for being from somewhere else and being different to when I got older and there was Caribbean Day or Caribbean Week or Carabana or some shit going on. I had the same friends or same classmates or same people that I know representing countries, waving flags, eating foods. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I remember 10, 12 years ago, you were laughing at that. You were not associating yourself with any country other than United States of America. And I always, always found that kind of be, you know, funny. Not ha-ha-ha funny, but just funny. Like, wait a minute. Like, so now it's always cool because everyone is kind of cool with being from somewhere else. See, one of the things that, from a historical standpoint, is that a lot of the countries that are outside of America, um, whether they're African nations or Caribbean nations or whatever, that... Before, before slavery ended here in the United States, it ended other places. Like Haiti, for instance, ended 100 years before it ended here. 
Think about that. A whole century, 100 years. Roughly, if someone lived to about 90 years old, three generations, three generations. If, 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 someone, if someone lived, you know, to 90, they were part of three generations. And, you know, the way it is perceived, and again, this is, this is clear speaking here. I'm being very careful where I'm treading. This is clear speaking is that other countries, and I, and I noticed for my experience that when they look at, when I leave America to go home, when I leave America, the way, the way people talk about America is two ways. They make it seem like I come from a place where the streets are laden with gold. And I remember as a six-year-old, the way family that came back from America who visited or who were living overseas at that point, coming back, and the way they talked about America, I literally thought that America's streets was laid with gold. <laughs> Laugh at that if you want. I literally thought that as a kid. I was like, wow. You know, when I got to America, um, everyone kind of flies in through a couple of different ports. If you're from the Northeast, you're coming through Kennedy. You're coming through New York. And I remember my first instincts as a six, seven-year-old, I'm looking for the gold coming off the plane. I'm looking for this magical Oz, this magical place. And I'm like, this is it? This is America? <laughs> and even up until I was uh, probably adolescent age, and got and getting to see a lot of America, like going to Florida, going to California, going to um, you know certain states. I've only been to, and this is sound weird. I'm 46 years old, but I've only been to probably 13 or 14 states in some some kind of way, you know. And largely that was due to friends that I have, um, you know, friends that I have that I've visited where they're from, or I've had to stop in a state to do something because. Uh, I was on my way someplace. So if I didn't have to, if I didn't have to, you know, being being from the Northeast here, driving the corridor from I-95 from New Jersey all the way down to Florida, you pass several states on the East Coast. So you're able to visit some of these states in some capacity. If you're stopping over for, for lunch, if you're stopping over for a couple of days or whatever, you, you're able to visit that. My daughter has actually seen more of America than I have, meaning not the East Coast, but she's seen the Midwest, she's seen the West Coast. Uh, and then she's seen the South. She's she's been to Texas. I've never been to Texas. I've never been. I never had a reason to go to Texas. You know what I'm saying? But in talking to her a lot, even when we talked on the podcast, she by her being able to when she was in the military, by her ab- being able to kind of branch out, she was able to come into contact with different people, different walks of life, from all races, things of that nature. She's always been accepting of who she is, but she told us. You know, me and her mom, when she was a little kid, she struggled with her identity. It's like, well, am I Caribbean? Am I American? Am I what? And I'm like, you're you. You are you. You're simply you. I don't, I don't, what you call it. But one of the things that we instilled in her um, from a, a young age is to encourage her to speak her mind intelligently, you know, make, make points if you need to uh, or if you can, um, and speak up. Speak up. You know, don't, don't speak out. There's a difference. Speak up versus speaking out. Speaking up is what we should be doing. And this is my opinion versus speaking out. You know, it's the same as when I tell you guys that I adhere to the mantra of having a talk or a discussion. A talk is what it is. We talked about something. We brushed over something. We had, you know, some dialogue. Discussing it is a little bit deeper. We've discussed it with the hopes of coming to some kind of resolution. We've come to some kind of plan of action to be installed. We've come to some kind of conclusion. Talking and discussing for me has been 
uh, something that I adhere to when I tell friends, hey, let's talk about that. That to me is just we're talking about it. We're, we're bouncing things off of each other. We're kind of seeing where we're at with things versus a hardcore discussions like we're looking for some kind of solution here or, or we're looking for a starting point. We have, we have talking points that have to be discussed. So when it comes to unity or solidarity, I hope to see it in my lifetime. But I I don't think I would. You know that's not being being pessimistic or, or um, or negative about that. But I just basically don't. I don't. I don't know because it has to. It doesn't have to start necessarily with white people being cool with us or white people accepting, you know, us or you know understanding what we go through and all. No, no, no. It has to start with us. It has to start with individuals. It has to start with their individual self. And one of the things that it has to start for us to have unity, talking for the black experience, that we have to unite on our sides first within our communities. You know what I'm saying? Like when people always talk about support black business, but black business has to support us as well. Black business has to have things that 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 are, you know, representative of us. You know, there's a ton of I have a cousin that makes um, she has it called skin candy. She makes um natural and organic body butters and scrubs and things of that nature, you know. And in some of the black businesses, I've known that in talking to her before, she hasn't had the traction to get her product in some of these stores, you know. And that's not to say that they're supposed to have you in there. No, I'm not advocating that. Well, what I'm saying is that, you know, we don't see those things, we don't see black business supporting other black business. You want me to support your black business? Yes, I will patron your, your, your restaurant. I will patron your store and things of that nature. But there's rules to that. There's, okay, is there something in there that I can support that is black as well? Not only coming into your um, brick and mortar that is, that's black owned, but I'm also coming into seeing products that represent you know, other black businesses trying to, that's everyone helping each other. That's a community helping each other. And that's how I see it. That's just my perspective, Cleve perspective. You know what I'm saying? No one has to do anything. No one owes you anything. You know what I'm saying? But if you're going to set up shop in a black neighborhood, if you're a Spanish-owned business, if you're a white business, you definitely have to have things that are indicative of who you're serving, with the community that you serve, you know? And that's something that I always say that's, that's, that's on the ground. That's from a from a, you know, very, very simple place. Very, very simple place. But I also have to understand, let you guys understand this as well. And this is, this is targeting um, eateries or, or food sources. If you're a black business and you have a soul food spot, and this ain't nothing to, for me to dis- be disrespectful, I'm not patroning that store necessarily because... To me, and this is the trainer speaking in me, this is the health advocate speaking in me, is that you're perpetuating the underlying causes that we already face. You're serving foods that are um, not helpful for diabetics, they're not helpful for people that are hypertensive, they're not helpful to people that, have, that are battling um, heart disease and things of that nature because you're serving fatty, greasy, sodium-laden foods and sugary drinks. That's, that's the 
so-called soul food experience. I never understood the word soul food. I understand what soul food represents. I understand the premise of soul food, the gathering that it brings. And it's, you know, it sounds cool, soul food. But what it is, is that those type of foods, you know, were passed down from slavery. And those type of foods, from a health standpoint, are not good. They're not... They're not good for us, meaning they're not good for our physiology. I'm sorry, physical self. They're not good in that regard. So when I say that, it's not to take a a shit on those type of businesses, but they can do better. You know, they can have vegan choices. They can have vegetarian choices and things of that nature. And it's the same for Caribbean spots. You know, every Caribbean country makes have has their own indigenous food and food sources, but again, the way we make food is one of the things that is killing us. It's one of the problems that we face, and that's something that's systemic. That is uh, not just Black America or Caribbean America or you know African American or whatever the hell you want to call it. That's Black people. Period. We are genetically coded, some of us, for a lot of diseases and for a lot of a lot of underlying causes. And not having access to adequate health care, that also compounds that. That compounds that. You know, one of the things that I remember, I lost my father to cancer. And one of the things that, you know, he talked to me about when he was uh, going through his battle was that he didn't get himself checked early enough. And that's like a black man thing. It's like we don't go to the doctor. We don't, you know, we don't get ourselves checked out. We've heard, we've heard this narrative so many times, but it's true. Even having insurance, even having, you know, somebody has insurance on their job, they still don't go to the doctor. I don't know what has to change that, but that's that's part of the problem, you know, from a unity standpoint is that that we unite in that in that way. This this thing is this thing has so many branches. It's 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 crazy because unity is a very it's only (laughs) a few letters for this word, like what, five letters? But it represents so many larger things. It's it's so many so many ways to be unified, and having having unity, it needs to start with being unified in yourself, being being cognizant of what you say, what you do, your actions, your words. Your your words might might sound good, but your actions don't pair up, or vice versa. You know, it 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 goes about um it goes about. A way of like, you know how like we see like around the holidays, we'll see someone feeding the homeless and then we'll see a whole bunch of cameras around that, you know, they're doing this. And I'm like, it's great that they're feeding the homeless, but I'm like, what's the big, you know, what's the big uh, uh, production about to show people that you're doing this? Just do it. Just do it. I mean, you know. If you're doing it to get the word out that that you have an organization that does that, that's great. But then don't look like you're a politician kissing babies and shaking hands. It just doesn't work for me. And this is me speaking. Everything that I'm speaking on this podcast about is about my opinion. It's not I am not representing anyone else but me. And I need you guys to understand that because I get questions about about I'm speaking for everyone. No, I'm not. I'm speaking for me. I'm speaking for me. This is what this platform is for. It's, it's my thoughts and your thoughts. I cannot speak for the entire race. Just like Nike can't speak for the entire sneaker com- um, I'm sorry, sneaker uh, conglomerate. Nike is one. <laughs> they're one company that makes sneakers. 
They might be on the forefront because they have the marketing to do that. But there's Pumas, there's Adidas, there's Theodoras. There's so many other sneakers uh, that are out there. Pony, <laughs> you know, these companies exist, but N- Nike can't speak for every sneaker company. And neither can Adidas. You just can't do it. So I can't speak for African-Americans. I can't speak for Caribbean-Americans. I can't speak for Asian-Americans. I cannot. Because we all live in America, but we have a different vantage point of where we're standing in America. Where we stand in America, from how we see things and how we're seen, it is a very different vantage point. Think of a podium, like the Olympic podium, where it's like three you know, for the first place, second place, and third place, there's staggered steps. And everyone stands on a staggered step in some part of this uh, process. You know, the nation physically is diverse and it's a melting pot. But within that melting pot, there are melting pots. And melting pots. And melting pots. All the way down. And we kind of see things uh, through different lenses. For instance, and I'm, I'm sad to say this, one of the officers that was arrested in Atlanta, I actually know that person. I haven't seen them in 30 years, probably, just about maybe 25 years, let's be exact. I haven't spoken to this person in about 25 years, but I know them. I know them. And to see what happened with them, disturbing, disturbing. But, but... They were charged. They were fired and they were charged. Rightfully so, which they should have been. I do not disagree with that. That was not the move, especially given the climate and the temperature what's going on. That was the dumbest thing that they could have done. Dumbish thing. But they were charged and they were, they were terminated. We still have, as of today, these other three officers in the, in the Floyd death. They're still out there. They're still doing whatever. And again, it's a staggered, it's a staggered approach, it's a staggered stance, it's the way we see things. So when you're when you're reaching out to your black friends to ask them if they're okay, that's about what all you can do right now. Because what you can do for them, or for us, or for me, because I'll take it back to to what I was originally talking about, to me. Don't ask me how I'm doing. Pay it forward. I'm a tailist. Pay it forward. You guys know what? Pay it forward. I've explained that many times in these podcast episodes of what I am. Tailist. Pass it forward. Pay it forward. If you have a if you have another friend who is not black or is black that says something disparaging or racist or homophobic or something, say something. Correct them. Be like, listen, man. You know what? I know you feel about, but stop. Don't say that shit around me. Not cool. Eventually, they'll get it. They, they don't want to either hang out with you no more or they just kind of figure, okay, they don't want to hear that kind of shit. Because we all have prejudices. That's a real thing. I have so many prejudices. It's funny. Not how, how funny, but it's funny. Like I, I have things, I have idiosyncrasies that I, I just deal with. I just don't like certain things. And those things you lead into or bleed into being racist or homophobic or sexist or whatever you feel, you know? These things cannot be unlearned in, in a protest. These things cannot be unlearned in a dialogue. It takes time. Just as it took, it took time for you to put on weight, it takes time for you to take off weight. Think of that as the process. 
Think of that as the process. And for you to gain 10 pounds, to take off 10 pounds is going to be equally, either equally uh, hard or you're going to have to endure some suffering to take off those 10 pounds. It doesn't happen overnight. It cannot happen in one or two days. It's just That's a scientific thing. Same as thoughts, ideas. When I was younger, I didn't understand black America. I didn't understand why, you know, being from where I was from kind of fueled this, but why certain things were a certain way. Why do you accept these things? Why do you let people talk to you in your kind of way? Because my parents, you know, ingrained in me to speak up. If something doesn't feel right, say something. But be respectful of your elders. Be respectful in how you say things. We're forgiving people. It's, it's our nature, I guess. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. You know, for example, the, the brother of the victim that was shot by the um, Dallas police officer uh, a few years ago in his apartment, at the sentence hearing, the brother, it was very hard for me to see that, but he forgave her. I don't know if I would have did that if my brother was killed, but he forgave her. He, you know, he, sh- you know, he showed some kind of remorse for that, although they took away his brother and even try to falsify reports and, and try to lie and all that. He still was able to say, well, I pray for you. I forgive you. I'm sorry. What? Wow. Okay. So if we can do that on that level, then, you know, forgiving or telling you, checking your friends when they say something crazy or they, or, they, you know, or, or they manifest some kind of deep thought, just politely check them and be like, listen, man, I don't even want to hear about that. Or engage in that dialogue and see if you're going to be friends after that, see how they feel. Because I personally, I personally, and call me crazy, I'd rather um, know who I'm dealing with, know that someone doesn't like certain things. I don't use the word nigger. I don't. I used to for a very long time. And about 15, 16 years ago, I stopped using the word, period. So when people say it around me, whether you're black, white, or whatever, I kind of take in deference. I'm like, listen, don't say that. You know? So when I uh, when I try to address things on this podcast, it's coming from a place inside of calm. It's coming from a place of a, a centered thought. And if you guys haven't realized by now, I don't write anything down. I don't have no talking points I have no pre-planned conception other than, other than today I'm going to talk about this and I'm going to freestyle for you guys. This is a freestyle. Every, every, every single episode has been a freestyle. I kid you not. If you, in knowing that information, if you go back through and listen to some of the episodes, there is no, you never hear papers rattling. You never hear me pause to say, oh, let me see what my next thought is. The only time I think I've done that is when I have to write down the questions that I got uh, on question and answer day, which I have to do one. I owe you guys one. Um, so anyone that's been listening and haven't heard me answer that, answer your question, I'm sorry. Just kind of been consumed by a lot of stuff, not only in the media, but just personally. 
So I haven't forgotten you guys. I'll, I'll have a question and answer period coming up. Uh, you know what? I'll make that a, a, a priority to get that out this week before Friday to you guys. Um, but it's this is me talking. This is the essence of this podcast. This is the reason that I have the podcast. It's for for me to have an organic conversation with people and also unpack my thoughts. And when I pack my thoughts, they're they're coming from designer luggage. <laughs> designer luggage. I had a friend say to me, you know, when we did the Blackout Tuesday, there were so many different conspiracies about Blackout Tuesday or whatever. And, you know, everyone has their opinion about Blackout Tuesday. But my take on Blackout Tuesday for me, for Cleve, for my thing was to just have a day of no interaction on social media. It's like taking a knee. I played sports. Taking a knee. Taking a knee in sports is respect for your situation, your opponent, or to show that you're not cool with something or you are taking a knee from the action, especially if you play a combat sport or a violent sport, you know, taking a knee when someone is hurt, when an opponent is hurt on the ground, you you see in football games or, or rugby games, you see everyone from both sides take a knee because they they are opposing figures, but then they are also looking at it as like that person is sharing a field of battle. I know I'm being dramatic here because comparing war to a game is not fair, but you're sharing the same field. You're sharing the same propensity for injuries and things of that nature. So you're showing a support that I hope this person is okay and they can get back in the game. I just needed a pause yesterday, just to, just a pause. Because where I'm sitting in the town that I live in, there. if I didn't know things were going on, a pandemic or social injustice, I wouldn't even know because where I live, there it's not acknowledged. It's not... It's not breathing dragon is not out here I don't know why but there's no civil unrest here at least as of right now there's not even you know there's not even any hints of protest or hints of destruction which makes me believe in, in the conspiracy that you know they're targeting certain cities for destruction for whatever reason But as you guys continue to have these dialogues with your friends and your family and your coworkers and your colleagues and all that, remember this. Like, remember when you approach someone about talking about this, if that's what you choose to do, because you don't have to do that. But if you cho- if you choose to engage in that, don't tread around it like, oh, my God, like, I'm so sorry for your. No, man, that, that this is not new. This is not new to us. This is not new to, you know, maybe you got your invitation to the party late, but we've already been at the party. We've been at the party already. So coming in with this hat off, like, hey, I'm so sorry. Don't do that because it actually makes it actually makes us feel a, a certain way. It makes us feel like now now you're finally acknowledging something. No, don't don't do that. Just say, hey, man, I stand with you. Hey, man, I, you know, hope that you're OK. Hope you're feeling OK. Hope that, you you know, your family's OK. That's pretty much about it, man. I, there's no there's no you ever notice when someone passes away whether it's a friend or uh, a loved one, a family member. You know how, like, some people have, like, they don't know what to say? I'm that kind of person. As wordy as I can be, I don't know how to tell someone how to feel. The only way I can explain that is, like, if you lost a parent, I lost a parent. So I can relate to what someone's going through if they lose a parent. 
But if you've lost a brother or an uncle or a sister, I don't, I don't know that. I don't I haven't dealt with that yet. So I don't know what to say. I don't want to be generic and be like, I'm sorry for your loss. Because it just sounds like everyone just said that. Hallmark included. You know, or hey, I know what you're going through. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't know. But now you know. Now, now white people are getting a taste. You know, you, you saw what the president did to have his photo op. I saw women. This is disgusting. Women batoned by the police and pushed to the ground to clear the way. That was crazy. That was that was American citizens pushing American citizens to the ground. What the what does the world see when they see that kind of shit? Crazy times, man. Crazy times. So I thank you guys today for your uh, listening. And I look forward to talking to you guys again. Thank you for choosing the manual.